Well, the scripture reading we'll draw from this morning is from John's Gospel in chapter 18, verses 33 to 38. And so if you want a moment to to find that in your Bible, Bible's under the seats, or through your device, you go ahead and uh, and pull that up, and it'll be on the, the screen behind me as well when I read. It'll be John 18, starting at verse 33. It's here now from God's word. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. May God bless her understanding this reading from his word. There are times when reading the Bible out loud that you kind of just have to take a wild stab at what the proper inflection should be. And today is one of those because I don't know how to correctly read the question, what is truth? This passage comes to us through the Easter story where Jesus had been arrested by the Jewish religious authorities, they wanted to get rid of him. They did not like that Jesus challenged their authority, that he embarrassed them in debates, that he had this large following. But those religious leaders could not lawfully execute Jesus. For that, they needed the Roman government, represented here by Governor Pontius Pilate. This put Pilate in a predicament, because he had no love for the Jewish ruling priests. He did not want to do their dirty work. But he also didn't want to make a decision that would lead to riots and instability because it was his job, first and foremost, to prevent those kinds of things. And so when Jesus was brought to Pilate, Pilate had one main question for him. Are you the king of the Jews? And all four Gospels include this question from Pilate to Jesus because his answer is so important to understanding what a Christian is. Pilate is wondering Is Jesus a political leader? Is he going to cause an uprising? Because Pilate didn't really care how much Jesus had offended the ruling priests or any of the religious details. He, He cared about stopping rebellions. And Jesus expressed to Pilate that he had his own very different kingdom from the one that Pilate ruled. Jesus had come to rescue people, to bring them from Satan's kingdom of sin and death into God's kingdom of love and life. Jesus had no interest in inciting violence against the earthly interests of Rome. But what Pilate heard was, I have a kingdom, and which meant that Jesus must consider himself a king. And Jesus' answer to that is what we'll spend some time with shortly when he says, well, you say that's I'm a king. I'm a king. That's the category that you have for me. But in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth 
listens to me? And then comes that question that I don't know the right way to say. Right? Does Pilate say, well, what is truth? Like in a pondering way, like what are the, is, what's the philosophical meaning of truth? Does he say, what is truth? In a frustrated, confused kind of way, like he's grappling with the difficulty of ever knowing what is really true. Or is it more of a, what is truth? In that dismissive tone of a politician who knows that he can make truth be whatever he says it is. I don't think he means it the first way, as kind of an honest inquiry, but I'd like us to take it that way, because this is a question that deserves our attention. What is truth is a question that's getting harder and harder to answer. I look around and I see that Really, truth is slipping from our collective grasp in our culture, in our society. And as God's people, that should worry us because we are called to prize truth, respect truth, speak truth, and try in any way that we can to help the truth flourish in our world because Jesus' side is the side of truth. So for the month of June, I want to explore the topic of truth and trust. And today, we'll start by talking about the loss of truth and trust around us. Then look at the biblical call uh, to truth. And then some practical ways that we can be part of doing what we can to help truth and trust make a bit of a comeback in our world. And so I'm going to start with the state of truth a little bit. And I think we've been on the road leading away from valuing truth for a while. I remember, which it shouldn't seem like it's that long ago, but now I guess it is a really long time ago, back in 2005 when... Uh, the comedian Stephen Colbert coined a new word, truthiness. And that was a word that he said meant the truth that comes from the gut, not from you know, books or data or evidence or anything like that. Truthiness was Merriam-Webster's word of the year the next year in 2006. It made that big an impression. And as time has gone by since then, all kinds of polls and surveys and studies have found that Canadians and Americans both are becoming less and less convinced about the truth of what they're told. They have uh, declining trust in government, in media, in every really major institution, including the church. And as with many things, the pandemic accelerated all of this. And I mean, it varied from place to place greatly, but the choices the governments made about the degree and length of some public health rules, the sometimes inconsistent messages that came out from the medical and scientific establishment, or at least the way the media reported on those, this did not overall inspire confidence. And, you know, I don't know what it was like to live in any other jurisdiction than this one or how fair some of those criticisms are given the difficult circumstances, but the results are still what they are. And some of those results are things like The fact that only a third of Canadians today believe that they live in a society where competent and effective people are in charge. And that was, you know, about half of Canadians three years ago. Now it's a third. A majority of Canadians a few years back said they trusted their government to do what was right. Now that number's 43%. This time last year, in a major poll, 44% of Canadians agreed with this statement that much of the information we receive from news organizations is false. And then even more than that, 52% agreed that official government accounts of events can't be trusted. And it's not only our institutions we don't trust, it's each other. Only one-third of Canadians now say they believe that most people can be trusted. And that's, that's a serious thing. 
Like, I mean, what happens when those numbers get so low that when everybody's phones start screeching to say a wildfire is on its way, you need to get out, people just ignore it because they decide that's fake news? Or at a different level, I mean, how do you thrive in life if you don't feel like you can be confident in knowing anything or trusting anyone? That's just a recipe for dysfunction and despair. But I get it. I mean, how do you feel good about trusting other people when you go through a week like this with all these terrible wildfires and then you hear stories about people who are running around in their yards with blowtorches setting leaves on fire or starting campfires out in the woods? Like, that doesn't help our sense of trust in each other. I get why people are skeptical about what they're told and the official story. It was almost two years ago now, uh, in August, that the, the city of Halifax, I don't know how, many, how well you remember this, but they, the city just bungled horribly this attempt to remove a bunch of homeless people and shelters from a park in Halifax. And the, it was a day that ended with chaos and tear gas and all, and all the rest. And it was this surreal experience for me because I watched some of the videos taken by journalists and people downtown, read some of the reports from some of the reporters there, and then the mayor and the police chief got on TV and they told their version of the story, and I thought they are describing a completely different event on a completely different planet from what I have just seen with my own eyes. And so, you know, now that's one, of, that's the reason I now subscribe to local journalism to make sure we have people out there to help tell us more than the official story. I also get why major institutions are under scrutiny. Earlier this year, I was doing a, a book study uh, with some other pastors about one of the huge issues in our time, which is things related to transgender and transgenderism. And I was trying to get some more information on studies about what's, what is going on with this massive increase in young people identifying as, as trans. And I'd like to think that I've got some pretty above average research skills as a person, but I was just scratching my head trying to find good information about this because everywhere you looked, you know, there were accusations flying back and forth at any scientific finding or government study. You know, one group would say, that's, that's factual, that's accurate, and someone else would say, no, that's just the product of a particular ideology or agenda. It didn't seem like anybody's efforts in that area were f founded on what is the truth so much as how do I make sure that, that my side controls the story. So it's, it is hard to know what is true and who to trust. And I wish I had good news, but actually it's going to get harder. Because on top of social media and the powerful ability it has to spread misinformation so quickly, we now also have these artificial intelligence technologies that will give anyone the ability to create very convincing fake images and videos and audio and even written material with just incredible ease. Now you could always do those things, but it used to take a lot of expertise and time. Now it can be done with a few clicks on an, anybody's laptop. It's, uh, it's pretty wild, and it's how much it's developed in the last year or two and how much it will in the next couple of years. And so you could look at all that, and you could kind of throw up your hands and say, well, I don't know, this problem is too big. Or you could become fearful about the state of civilization and the future, but I don't think that's the posture Jesus ever calls his church to adopt. There's always hope. Because Jesus said that as his followers, our calling is to be salt and light. Because a little bit of salt can preserve a lot of something that might go rotten. A little bit of light can overcome a lot of darkness. And so let's get our bearings about truth and trust from the Bible for a few minutes before I suggest some practical things that can be done to try to be on and stay on the side of truth and trust 
as we live as Jesus followers in this world. So getting back to that question from Pilate, what is truth? Today I'm going to use the definition that truth is what corresponds to reality, right? Truth is what's really going on. It's not necessarily what most people think is going on. Opinion and popularity has nothing to do with it. Truth, if it's going to be worth the theme, is absolute. It's actual truth is as true for me as it is for you. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you and I perceive everything the same way, right? We might be in the same room and I feel hot and you feel cold. And some of you live with somebody who has a very different view of where the thermostat should be set and you have regular philosophical debates about whether it is true that the house is too cold or whether it is true that you should just put on a sweater. But even in that case, it is true that one person feels hot and true that one person feels cold. And so far, no one has established any universal truth about the correct temperature of the thermostat in the house. Now, I think it might actually surprise some people to learn how important the concept of truth is to Christianity. I can imagine a non-religious person just assuming that Christians can't be all that committed to truth that corresponds to reality because, I mean, if you believe in an all-natural, or an all, sorry, a supernatural, all-powerful being or miracles or a human person who could die and return to life three days later, well, their worldview of materialism or naturalism would rule those things out as possibilities that could be true. But Christianity actually cares tremendously about truth. And it's why we even have this entire field of Christian thought called apologetics, which is not in the Canadian style of saying I'm sorry about things, but apologetics is about exploring questions brought up by history and science and biblical studies and philosophy and theology and making the case that Christian belief does correspond with reality. And in fact, it does a better job of this than any other worldview. Because it's one thing to criticize Christianity. We've got 2,000 years of, you know, of, of history and lots and lots of different ideas and lots of wings of the church. It's not like there's any shortage of things a person can find to poke, poke at. But it's a very different thing to then hold up against it some very different worldview that better explains where we came from, what it means to be human, how to address the human flaws and weaknesses we struggle against, how to live well in this world, or where we should look for a sense of purpose. The Christian tradition has a great deal of truth it can rely on in making its claims about these things. Now, no Christian who takes the Bible seriously can miss the value placed on knowing and speaking truth. We see this in the Old Testament law, right? Commandment number 9 out of 10 says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. False words can do a great deal of damage, and many, many other verses all through the Bible repeat this. We see it all through the book of Proverbs as well. Proverbs 12 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And in the New Testament, we see many other examples, including Jesus' teaching about not swearing oaths, which the book of James expands on when it says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. 
And what it's getting at is that Christians should be committed to truth at all times. We should never swear some kind of special oath that, well, I am for sure telling the truth this time, unlike the rest of the time when that's up for grabs. We're called to live and speak in such a way that a simple yes or no from us is all somebody else should need to hear, to trust that that is the truth. And yes, if you're wondering, it is really weird that the tradition of swearing on a Bible in a courtroom ever became a thing in some places, given that the words of the Bible really don't support doing that. So the Bible prizes spiritual, or personal honesty, certainly. And when it comes to the New Testament in particular, the biblical authors, in my view, chose to present their accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection as true, as something real and historical and, and accurate, they include many details about people and places and events, little odds and ends that would have served as evidence to their early readers and are still helpful today in showing their authenticity. If you've ever read the very beginning of the book of Luke, he starts his letter saying this, that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The Gospels, they're not history and biography in exactly the same way we would write in those genres today, but the point I'm driving at is that I don't read the New Testament and think I'm being presented with something that is spiritually true but not actually true. It's offered to us with the claim that in every way that matters, this is the truth. And that claim has altered the course of human history more than any other single thing that has happened. Now, this would be enough to build a foundation on for the Christian idea of truth if we were just talking about knowledge and trying to judge with truth, with which truth claims are factually accurate or historically reliable. And for some Christians, that's really important. For some Christians, that's not so important. They're, they're more building their faith on a kind of personal connection side of things. But these things do matter to some extent, and they should to all of us. But when we bring it back to Jesus, we see that he goes well beyond these things. He goes well beyond knowledge and truth claims and fact. In John's gospel, where the foundation, uh, where truth is a, really it's a foundational idea, Jesus makes some statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in today's passage, he says, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Right, let's... Sink in, let that sink in about what Jesus says about who he is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And see, these teachings tell me that truth to Jesus goes beyond knowledge and belief. Truth, in fact, in the Christian way of thinking, is something that you live. It's why God did not simply send information into the world. He sent a person who claimed to embody the truth, who lived among us. Jesus taught us things that were true, 
But maybe more importantly, he showed us how to live while walking in the truth. I mean, I find science and history and philosophy and scripture endlessly fascinating. I love to learn whatever I can. But you can never, ever learn enough about any of these disciplines, let alone all of them. You can never be sure that you have the truth by just accumulating enough knowledge. To have any confidence that you know what is true, you have to live accordingly and put it to the test. And so Jesus came in the flesh to be a witness to the most life-altering truths that a person can know, that God is real, that God loves this world, that God cares about each person, that there is life to be had beyond this life, that people must turn away from their rebellion against God and submit their lives to him or they will remain lost and enslaved to sin. But Jesus didn't say we simply need to accept these things as being true. He said, if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth. He said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Living in the way of Jesus, obeying the commands of Scripture, listening to the voice of God, these are the actions that put Jesus' truth to the test. The book of 1 John has some similar things to say. It says, whoever says, I know him, him being Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. And so professing faith in Jesus is not the same as having the truth. We need to do what Jesus says. And one more where it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Or put another way, talk is cheap. The truth Jesus speaks about must be integrated with life so that what we say we believe matches how we actually live. These things are brought together by learning to listen and obey the voice of God. And a lot of people miss this. They think Christianity is entirely about what you believe and then fail to understand that if what you believe is not expressed in how you live, then you don't really believe it. That's why the author G.K. Chesterton once said that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Isn't that a thing to say? The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. So let's, let's say for a moment that this is true. That truth is not simply something you know, but is something to be lived out with God's help. How can you and I live for truth in a world that's letting truth slip away? And I'll follow those same three sections of the Bible I used earlier and give an answer from the law and from the Proverbs and from Jesus. And the first, when we look to the law, which is repeated elsewhere, one way we can do this is to practice radical honesty. Not just be honest most of the time or do, do enough to be truthful, but radical honesty. No bearing false witness. Christians should be people who go above and beyond when it comes to speaking the truth and being careful not to mislead anyone. And I mean, that obviously means no overt lying or deception, but it also means being careful when it comes to the things that we just don't know very much about. Christians are tricked every day into repeating lies and falsehoods that they hear online or from other people, or they just, they come across something that sounds right, that proves their point, and they simply believe it. If you're not sure, if you haven't checked, just don't spread it around. I mean, if you have people that you care about 
you'd like, and you'd like them to encounter Jesus, then don't undermine the truth of the gospel by repeating or sharing things that later turn out to be made up or they're myths or they're conspiracy theories. We don't want to be people saying, well, believe me about Jesus. Ignore all the other stuff I said that turned out to be junk. And here's one little piece of advice that I came across that I thought was a really helpful way to think about it. Pretend that every day is April 1st, okay? On April Fool's Day, lots of, you know, whether maybe you've got a practical joker in your house, sometimes it's people, but especially in the online world, websites and companies, they put out pretend stories. They launch fake products. They do all kinds of different things to try to be funny and to get lots of shares and, you know, be in the news. But most people on April 1st know that they shouldn't believe anything that they read or watch that day unless they've you know, really carefully verified it. That's just a really good default setting to go about in this world, especially from here on out. Just pretend every day is April 1st. So practice radical honesty. Second one is pretty straightforward. Seek knowledge. Here's a selection from Proverbs 18 this time where it says, and men, I mean, this is a proverb for the modern age, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, and the ears of the wise seek it out. Many Christians, of course, do not read or study the Bible on a regular basis. They claim to strongly believe what the Bible says, but don't know very much about what it says. That's a pretty strange and embarrassing contradiction in the church. And I would think that people who value truth would be humble, would be curious, would be eager to learn about all kinds of things, but especially about the writings that we believe God has given us to help us know him. And there are today just endless ways to grow our knowledge. And so what will you use to grow your knowledge outside of the occasional church service, perhaps, with the abundance of resources at our disposal? What are you going to build into your life so that you gain knowledge? And let me add one little addendum to this. Maybe this is more of a personal hobby horse than a, a biblical <laughs> thing drawn straight from Proverbs, but I think there's lots in Proverbs that would back this up. Christians should be really hard to insult or offend. Right? We're in this really weird place right now in the world where the political right is back to book bans, of all things, and the political left is trying to label pretty much any form of honest disagreement as offensive hate speech. Truth gets lost if we prevent people from speaking, if we refuse to ever listen, because we're so easily offended. And I think Christians should be people who care very much about freedom of expression. We, just, we shouldn't be wimps who want to shut down anyone who disagrees with us or makes us uncomfortable. And boy, we're in an increasingly wimpy culture right now with all of that. It's all about how do I get worked up? How do I get offended? How do I get other people to feel bad for me because so-and-so said this mean thing or this thing that goes against whatever? It was, we, we don't have, seem to have a lot of resilience. And it's just a way to build a platform. It's a way to make money. It's just, it's just foolishness. We should be very difficult to insult and offend. Third Third and final thing, to listen to God's voice. Jesus said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so that doesn't just mean 
anyone who's professed faith in me is on the side of truth. That's not what this means. There are a lot of people who think that. Like, I'm a Christian, and therefore the things I think are true, even if they aren't things about the Bible or anything else. Just, if I'm a Christian, and this is important to me, this thing must be true. That is not how it works. Jesus said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. They actively listen to me. If they value truth, they will continue to listen to me and judge the things that they see and hear based on what I have said and I am saying to them. It's not enough to be knowledgeable. Truth is meant to be lived and lived with God's guidance. People need more than facts and information. We need connection to God and to live accordingly. And Jesus showed us what that looked like. He was born and came into the world, he said, to testify to the truth. He lived truth. And we see what that did in his life because it made Jesus as joyful and alive as any person has ever been. It gave him the courage to stand up to anyone who tried to harm others or mislead them about God's love for them. It gave him passion and purpose. And these are things that we should seek. These are things that we should expect to see more and more in our own lives if we are living the truth. So we must listen for God's voice in quiet moments where we pause, in quiet prayer for a few minutes here or there, a half hour at some point in our day, in small groups of people that we try to walk with in life and faith, in the advice of mature people we trust, listen for God's voice. What is truth? Right? Notice that Pontius Pilate asked the question and then didn't bother to listen for an answer from Jesus. He went right back to the business of doing whatever seemed to serve his own interest. And that is pretty much how things are going in our world too. May it not be so for the followers of Jesus, who, Jesus who said that everyone on the side of truth listens to him. Pilate didn't listen. We have, to, we have more to explore in this series, including the role of the father of lies in trying to deceive us, including how it is we can try to live at peace in a world where people don't just have different opinions, but wildly different facts. But I hope that you'll carry just one or two thoughts from here into the into these future weeks. One is, of course, the tremendous value placed on truth in the Bible and the historic Christian community. That's a legacy we should want to add to, even if it's at odds with how things are going in our world. And the other thing is that truth is more than knowledge or information or even belief. It's something we live, God helping us. And so to have confidence, to grow in faith, it must be lived. To help nudge our world in the right direction is going to depend on lots of Jesus followers living the truth. May we live out the truth of Jesus Christ by doing what he taught us and by listening to his voice. Let me end with a short word of prayer. Oh, Father God, what is truth is such a loaded topic that we could spend 20 or 25 minutes hearing about it from your word every day for the rest of our lives. We would not finish this task. But I pray that we just be with anyone, God, who is struggling with this question of truth right now. What is right? Are you real? How should I live? Is this the right answer? God, we, we struggle with information overload in our world, with contrary voices, with lots of different pressures. It, it can be so hard. And I pray, Lord God, that you would call us to hear your voice, that you would speak a little louder than you've been speaking for some who are struggling to hear and discern, that you would 
just show us that when we start to walk your way, when we start to do what you say, when we start to listen for your voice, that that brings us into a place of life and confidence and that sense that, yes, this is true. I don't just believe it, but I live it. May we have that, that integrated faith, that integrity as followers of Jesus who value the truth that you didn't just bring, but that you say that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.